Welcome to the Love Life Podcast, hosted by Jack and Sheila Harper. This podcast is about love and passion for life. Save One was founded by Jack and Sheila in the year 2000 to help men, women, and families recover after abortion. The Harpers have a real passion to see lives be healthy and flourish so that those lives have a lasting impact on the earth. Join us for the next few minutes as we talk about the subjects that impact our lives and how we can together find and keep better spiritual, emotional, and mental health by loving life. Here's Jack and Sheila. Hello, Love Life listeners. What a great day it is to love life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for loving this podcast, sharing it with your friends for honest, encouraging feedback. We really do appreciate that. And this brand new podcast, I just have to tell you for a minute, it hit 3,000 downloads. And I'm so happy about that. We heard that puts us in the top half of all podcasts. So I don't know if that's a thing or not, but we got a notification saying that. So Thank you, guys. We really appreciate you taking your time and listening. Jack and I have learned so much, and most of the people that we've talked to, we know really well, and we've learned so much more about their lives and have enjoyed these conversations, haven't we, Jack? Yes. And of course, today is absolutely no exception. When Sheila and I were meeting with Doug Clay, the the, uh, general superintendent for the Assemblies of God, He put us in touch with a guy, a man, who not only took our phone call, which is awesome, but Mm -hmm. he wanted to know more. And so we Zoomed with him and instantly we had a connection. And he saw the vision and the potential for Save One for the National Black Fellowship. And we couldn't be more thankful for that. So Bishop Harvey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Sheila. I'm glad to be with you. We're so thrilled you are. And guys, I want to just read his bio so you know the outstanding accomplishments and the incredible man that this is that we are getting to interview today. But his bio says, Bishop Walter Harvey is an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. He was elected in August 2021 to serve as an executive presbyter, which is a general board member of the Assemblies of God, representing 24 ethnic fellowships. He currently serves as the president of the National Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God, which sponsors the WITH movement that has the vision to transform every urban pain point through a disciple-making movement and using business as a tool for justice. I mean, wow. that right there, that's, this is it. not part of the bio, but I absolutely love that. That is yes. such an incredible leadership and vision. I love it. Yeah. But let me go on. Harvey has served as both an executive presbyter and ethnic language group presbyter for the Wisconsin Northern Michigan Ministry Network for the Assemblies. He's a frequent speaker in churches and conferences across the country. He also served as lead pastor of Park Lawn Assembly in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for 28 years, just ending in 2020. Park Lawn recently went through a rebrand and is now known as the Embassy Center Milwaukee. He continues to serve as the apostolic leader there, coaching leaders and focused on church multiplication and community impact while also serving as CEO of the church's PRISM 
Economic Development Corporation. He holds a Bachelor of Science in in Psychology from Marquette University. He has served on various local and national committees and boards and has served professional and college teams and athletes as a sports chaplain. He and his wife, Judy, of 38 years, enjoy basketball and watching the Food Network. So, wow, (laughs) that's amazing. That is a lot. I'm so thrilled to have you with us. I mean, when you look at all that you do, I'm amazed that you found time. So, welcome and thank you so much. I can't wait for our listeners to know more about you, your journey, and all that you have going on. Uh, so I, I I want to just jump into a tough subject. And I mean, this is, I mean, we might as well just rip the Band-Aid off and just get going with this yeah. tough subject. But yeah. I, I know that the, what I'm about to ask you is sometimes a little bit touchy, but we're curious to hear your wisdom and how you have handled this situation. And here's my question. There's much controversy over the Black Lives Matter organization both politically and ideologically, how have you as a black man and a leader of the National Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God processed and applied a message that affirms life? I know that's a big question, but I'm I'm curious and I can't wait to hear your answer. Well, it's a big question and uh, and I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. And I want to preface my answer by my appreciation to both of you for what you do, uh, particularly around abortion recovery. And Thank what you, you do uh, is the reason that um, I believe the National Black Fellowship has an opportunity to come alongside um, of your ministry and your message, because there's pain uh, in uh, in Black and Brown communities. And as the president of the National Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God, you know, over 200 churches that are part of this, this fellowship, um, many of them are in uh, communities where there is poverty and there's pain. Uh, and we feel the tremendous sense of call to people in place. You know, mm-hmm. Jeremiah 29 and 5, God's, God says, you know, the place that I planted you in Babylon, pray for the peace of it, pray for the shalom of it. And as it prospers, you too will prosper. And uh, and so I have a passion for people in places. And, uh, you know, God wants us to flourish as humans. And uh, I also want to say that I am I am pro-life. Uh, I affirm the life and the dignity and the image of God of the baby that is in its mother's womb. Jeremiah one and five affirms that. Yes. Uh, But I'm also pro-life from the womb to the tomb. Mm -hmm. And uh, I affirm the life before birth and then also after birth. And the reason I believe that organizations like Black Lives Matter have um, come to the forefront is because there's been a hole in H-O-L-E in the gospel of the church and the presentation of the church. And that, uh, in my opinion, many believers have emphasized great commission and Mm -hmm. we have made it an option for the great commandment to love our neighbors Mm -hmm. as we love ourselves. Wow. And so I think that's given that, that void has given space for organizations like, you know, BLM, you know, to, to have a message 
that uh, is very polarizing and there's many polarizing issues in society. But one of the things I appreciate about leadership, you and Jack know, is that we we have to deal with issues head on. Uh, yes. And, you know, years ago, I asked one of my pastor friends here in Milwaukee, who's white, I said, Matt, why is why is it when white evangelicals hear the phrase Black Lives Matter? I'm not talking about the organization because the organization has some flaws in its structures and its leadership, but it's there because we have not championed the message. I said, what 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 brings about the you know the the angst and the anxiety? He says it's probably because you know many white people are probably hearing or thinking there's resistance, there's rioting, there's going to be violence. Uh, I said, thank you for, for sharing that because I just I just wanted to know. And he asked me the question, what do you hear when you hear mm-hmm. someone say Black Lives Matter? And not talking about the organization, but that's just a phrase. And it was a prophetic moment for me. I'd never been asked that question before. And I told him, I said, Matt, you know what I hear is I hear Black men um, saying, I can't breathe. Mm. I hear mm-hmm. the burning embers of a cross that has been set ablaze on the front lawn of a frightened black family by the KKK. Yes. I hear the crackling uh, branches of a tree that Mm. is about to break under the weight of a black man who has been burned and who is hanging and dying. That's what I hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's true that all lives matter, but all lives won't matter if we don't affirm that Black Lives Matter. And we certainly have a history that we all own in America where we've not valued uh, Black lives. And so that to me is an opportunity for the church, the whole church, to take the whole gospel, Great Commission and Great Commitment, to the whole world. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop with this statement. And uh, several years ago, I was privileged to go to a, uh, a Middle Eastern country where it's illegal to preach the gospel. I won't name the country, um, <laughs> but uh, I was in a place of prayer and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me that when the part of my church that we call white is healed of its indifference to the pain of the black church, and when the black part of my church, there's no black and white church, there's one church, but I'm just kind of mm-hmm. using that too, because we we think in America in terms of black and white. But when the white part of the church is healed of its indifference to the pain of the black community, and when the black part of the church is healed of its ignorance to the pain and to mm-hmm. many of the sins that are going on in the community, then we will see true revival. And so it has to be an, it has to be both wings of the bird, whole life, womb to the tomb. Uh, it's not an either or it's a both and. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. I love that. I love yeah. that. That's, there's so much wisdom in everything that you just said. And I, I think that that is incredible that those are the thoughts that you had when you hear Black Lives Matter. And then we hear something totally different when we hear Black Lives Matter. But I love that. And it's something that we need to to think about because we see those extremes on the media. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it is their, it is their absolute goal to make us stay at odds with people who don't look like us or act like us or think like us. It's like, we've got to not like each other. If you don't agree with everything that I say or everything that I do. 
And so we start, if you watch the news all the time, you start thinking like, this is real life like this. And really it's just Mm -hmm. the extremes Mm -hmm. because when you get out in the world and you interact with people, that's not what you find. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting along, (laughs) you know, just on, on a, you know, an everyday day-to-day basis. So anyway, that's, that's incredible wisdom. Yeah. I love that. And when, when you were talking about Jeremiah 29, when it, when you said that, it was like the first thing that struck me uh, when you said that, that we prosper uh, or that we want things to prosper as we prosper. But I think the thing is, is that we don't always see everybody prospering. We just see our little sphere and want it to prosper. And when we do that, we, we're leaving out those that are suffering, those that are hurting. We, mm-hmm. What it should be is that this should be a global thing that, that we're looking for peace for us and peace for everybody else or prosperity for us and prosperity for everybody else. Not just that, that little silo that we're working yeah, in. Yeah. Our so, own little bubble. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And, and the, one of the things that really I'm drawn to save one is because abortion is a pain in the uh, black and brown community, the African-American yes. communities. And the National Black Fellowship launched a movement called the WITH movement several years ago that you mentioned in the bio. To, uh, it's a disciple-making movement. Uh, it, it's it's ministry Jesus style. It's not mm-hmm. taking away from Sunday morning, you know, attractional worship services, but there are there are majority of people in our communities that are not going to come through the doors of the church, and so we have to go and make disciples. Yeah. Uh, and and when we get there, we're going to find pain, and yes. you know we can't abandon them or say, "Hey, come into the church, we'll fix that pain for you." You know, I need you to fix it for me right now, and it might mean yeah. <laughs> it might mean I need to get my child in school. It might need mean I I'm I'm a domestic abuse victim. It might mean I'm a drug addict or whatever it might be. And so the with movement is being with people right where they live, work and play and transforming those places from the inside out and economically creating business as a tool of justice. And so abortion is one of those pains. It's a trauma. And yes. we're recognizing that we need some tools to help people to heal from the trauma of, of uh, post-abortion. Yeah. And you, you said something about it earlier about uh, loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, when Jesus taught that parable, uh, he could have made anybody the hero in that story. I mean, he was teaching, he was teaching a room full of Jewish people, but he made the Samaritan the, the hero and the Samaritan and the Jewish people didn't get along with each other. Yeah. But then what, what made me think about that is you just said that, that we have to invest in people where they are. It cost the Samaritan something to help the guy who was hurting. That's it cost true. him. It cost him oil. It cost him wine. It cost him his ride. And then it cost him at the end because he paid for that healing right. uh, for that rest time. So healing could happen. So we need to know on the front end that the investment on our part is going to cost us something, yes. but it's well worth it because everybody that we invest in is an image bearer of the one who created all of us. That's right. <laughs> so right, Jack, we have to, we have to have both compassion for people and capacity to help right. them. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. that Samaritan had compassion, right? Mm-hmm. But he also had yeah. some capacity. He had some money. He had a donkey. He had some oil. Yeah. He had he had time. He had influence. And 
if we don't, if we just have compassion, we frustrate people, you know, with, you know, that I love you and touchy feely, but mm. you're not really disrupting my pain. Uh, yeah. so we have to have both. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. So Sheila jumped in with the tough subject. So uh, I want to <laughs> ask you uh, about a different tough subject with you. So I know as a young man, you went through a pretty traumatic event and uh, many people have painful introductions into the sacredness of sex. So do you mind talking about that and your journey with that with us? Oh, not at all. Uh, when I was pastoring my church, I would often tell the congregants, I said, many of the messages that you hear me teaching, they're, they're from the scripture, of course, but many of them are um, from my life experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a book about this life experience, about the sacredness of sex. Uh, it's called Who Touched Me? Healing the Wounds of Sexual Brokenness. And in every community, and you both know that, um, you know, sex is something that God created beautiful. The marriage is the fireplace and sex is a fire. And whenever it gets outside the fireplace, it's going to burn our bosom. It's going to burn a house. It's going to burn down and destroy some things. That's wow. good. So I good. love that word picture. That's yeah. really That's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Marriage is the fireplace. It's the only place that God created the fire to be held in. Mm -hmm. And if it's in that fireplace come on you can roast some marshmallows you can take your shoes <laughs> off and right feet up right, if you're married, right. You, can, you can lay a blanket down but i won't go there but that's enough word pictures for for the for now uh, i love it but uh i i'm 63 years young today but when i was five years old uh a male adult relative uh began playing a, a game of sexual shame with me uh, whenever there were family gatherings, uh, this male relative would search me out in the midst of the crowd of family members and pull my pants down um, and, you know, draw attention to me. There he is. Look at him. And so as a five year old child, uh, that sense of innocence and identity and confusion and perversion and pain. It's like, what does a five year old do with that? Right. There, there, there's a touch. Sex is a touch. It leaves fingerprints behind. Yes. And, and so what it did for me as a teenager is that it opened up doors of confusion and perversion and pornography and promiscuity. Uh, and I gave my life to Christ. And, and, you know, there's no touch like the touch of the master's hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need continual touches. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, the Jesus healed a man who was blind and then he said, what do you, how do you see now? He says, well, I see men as trees now. So before he saw darkness, now he sees some shadows. And then Jesus touched him again, and he could see perfectly. We need continual touches, uh, as I did. Uh, but I thank God for a praying mother uh, who, when I was 15, uh, made me a drug addict because she started dragging me to church with her. Uh, <laughs> when, when I was 19, I met my then girlfriend, but six years later became my wife. We dated for six years and wow. we practiced abstinence during those six years. Wow. Uh, wife, she was a virgin when we met and um, we practiced abstinence until our honeymoon. And uh, that's a testimony of the grace and the touch of, of God. And so those fingerprints that were upon my soul, God has healed them. 
I'm able to walk in in victory and and triumph and share that story with others. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I wanted to talk about your book. I haven't had the opportunity to read it. You sent me a, a copy of it, which I'm so excited about. But I wanted our listeners to know how can they get a copy if they they can relate to the story that you just told. How can they get a copy for themselves and work through that? Yeah, I've, I am the source for that. I have a website. It's WalterHarveyMinistries.com. Uh, or they can reach out to me on any of my social media pages with their information and we can connect and give them a copy of the book. Okay. That's great. And yeah. listen, I, I, it takes brave work. It takes courage to deal with the after effects of something as traumatic as that as a child. So thank you for doing that yeah. brave work. Thank you for having the courage because you having the courage broke any of that being passed down to your children or being passed through a legacy of generation after generation. You did the brave work to stop it. And not only did you stop it in your own family, but you turned around and now you're allowing God to use it to to make it something good in other people's lives, giving them a way out of this turmoil that this sexual perversion does to you. So I just appreciate that because not everybody is willing to do the brave work that it takes to work through something like that. So thank yeah, you. Absolutely. God. Jesus is the chain breaker. Right. Yes, he is. Yes, That's yes, for yes. sure. <laughs> and so now we have talked about two difficult subjects. And I've loved that <laughs> because I, I hate I just having fluff. So uh, your wisdom and insight, Bishop Harvey, has been invaluable. And I have no doubt has helped others who haven't known what to do about these moments in their lives as well. But I do have one last question for you. Several times you have talked about using business as justice and, and you have mentioned justice several times. Mm -hmm. What does justice look like for you? Yeah, uh, great question. Justice is the rectifying of things that are wrong. It's putting in balance things once again the way they were. And the the foundation of God's throne, I, uh, Psalm 89 and 14 tells us that the foundation of God's throne, that it sits upon justice and righteousness. Hmm. And and it says that mercy and truth are before his face. Um, unfortunately, we as Christians today have been pushed or forced or tempted to believe an either or uh, approach to justice, you know, biblical justice or social justice. You know, which side is God on? God's on the side of justice. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um and and so for me, this is what justice looks like because I'm a I'm a visual learner. So uh, justice and mercy are out for a walk in the woods, a beautiful summer day. The sun is shining through the through the trees, and glimmers of it come through the leaves. And they come across this this river, this kind of winding, lazy river, and they're just standing there and they're just in awe of it. Then all of a sudden they hear a splash. And there's this man who is coming down the river and he is drowning and he's gasping for air. He's gulping in water. And every now and then they hear a help, help, save me. 
And so mercy sees him and mercy jumps into the river, swims to the man, pulls him ashore and says, hey, justice, come and come and help me. And justice helps pull the man from the, you know, from the water onto the bank. And mercy begins to do mouth to mouth resuscitation. And the man begins to revive. And just as he's pushing in his last uh, ounce of breath and pushing out water, they hear another splash in the river. And there's another man coming down the same river and he's drowning. And Mercy leaves that first man and dives back into the water, swims to him, turns around and says, hey, Justice, come and help me. But Justice is going in the other direction. He's running away from Mercy. And he says, where are you going? I need your help. And Justice says, I'm going upstream to find out who's throwing these people in the river. <laughs> I oh, love good. it. That's good. That's good. So yeah, it's, I one, love that. it's one thing to help a person immediately, but Justice goes upstream and mm-hmm. figures out why there is pain and what systems are in place that are creating disparities and pain within people's lives and goes to fix those things. So nobody else is thrown in the river. Oh, that is beautiful. I love that. Sheila, I love that that you asked that question because I think Bishop Harvey is one of those guys that's going to be upriver finding people and finding out what's going on. So thank you for that. Yes, he's already doing that. That's amazing. I love it. And let me ask you real quick, what was the scripture that you just talked about, that truth and and justice? Uh, uh, Psalm, Psalms 89, verse 14, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalms 89, 14. Okay. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I got that. All right. What What a great podcast episode. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just, this has been great. So you can find the uh, National Black Fellowship by going to nbfag.org. And you can follow Bishop Harvey on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And be sure to go to his, his website, walterharveyministries.com and get the book that we talked about, Who Touched Me. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So every episode, we give a love life tip of the day to help you love life on a greater level. So Bishop Harvey's love life tip of the day is that we should not seek to be debate winners. I love that. But good neighbors, this is the command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is a key to love and life. I love that. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. How beautiful is that? I know. I know. How beautiful is that? That's awesome. Great advice, great direction, and a way to definitely love life on a greater level. Thank you so much, Bishop Harvey, uh, for being with us yes. today and watching our and and be watching for our next episode, it, which is going to help you love life on a greater level. Thank you for being a part of our audience today on the Love Life Podcast. Please share it with your friends and check back often for the next podcast or subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.